Hello and a very warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Delighted to have you with us. Brian, our Bible teacher, continues our series today called Who Am I? And in these studies, Brian's looking at how the Bible tells us we're seen by God and to appreciate more fully what the Bible teaches about us and how God regards us. He also highlights the golden opportunities the Scriptures make available to us. And today's talk is called Fully Forgiven. And here's Brian to tell us more. Thanks, John. Memories can be painful things, especially when they cause us to reflect on personal failures. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Once a year, God used to ask his people to remember and confess their sins over the head of a living goat before sending it away. He wanted them to savour forgiveness. In the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer comments on that now obsolete annual procedure once carried out by the Israelites under the law of Moses. He says in Hebrews 10, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We might ask, but what then was the point of these annual offerings, if it was impossible for them to take away sins? All those animals were sacrificed, but still sins were not taken away. In fact, by reminding the people of their sins, those very same sacrifices, in a way, served to add to their guilt. There was a remembrance of sins year by year, in that these offerings brought their faults to mind. Negative feelings would surely have been stirred up by the memories of their inadequacies as this goat was paraded before them. But wait a minute, let's start at the beginning. We're wanting to get on to talk about the forgiveness of sins here, but we'd better first of all define what the Bible means by sins. Within biblical Christianity, the word sin means missing the mark. An archer misses the bullseye, the very central part of the target. A high jumper fails to clear the bar. A sinner fails to achieve God's standard. We were created to be the image and glory of God, but we rebelled, and as a result now we all fall short of the glory of God. Not only do we no longer fulfil our design requirements as part of God's creation, but our sin, the Bible teaches us, is offensive to God. It's an affront to his holy character. His anger burns against sin. But graciously, God has made provision for it. In the time of the Old Testament, God gave instruction to his people that if any of them sinned, he or she was to take a lamb or goat and approach God's altar, and there the animal was to be offered up in his or her place as a substitute. Its life was surrendered in place of theirs, which was forfeit through sin. Or, in the case of one special day each year, when all the people gathered, a goat was then taken for them all and had their sins confessed upon its head and it was then taken away and released into a solitary desert place from which it never returned. Symbolically, it bore away their sins. It was this goat that was originally known as the scapegoat. The chapter of Hebrews that we were previously reading from continues. 
When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It was God who had specified the Old Testament offerings. But this shows they were never meant to be more than an interim measure. God found no ultimate satisfaction in them. So how effective were such Old Testament sacrifices as the goats we were thinking about? We've heard the Bible itself say that they could not put away sins. So what was the point of them? They were like signposts, which all pointed forward to the coming of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. I also like to picture them as being like banker's checks. Think about it. A check by which we pay for some goods is only a piece of paper. In itself, it's worthless. But it's, in effect, a promise. It's a promise that the person who receives it will soon have in his bank account the same sum of money that's written on the check. The goods we buy with a banker's check are really only paid for when the cheque is finally presented to the bank by the seller who received it from us. At the bank, it's cleared, meaning the money is then finally transferred out of our bank account and into the seller's bank account. All the sacrifices for sins long ago in the Old Testament were like cheques, in that they held out the promise that one day sin would be properly paid for. They pointed forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross for our sins, according to the Bible, it was then that sins were actually and finally put away. Previously, in the time of the Old Testament, and by means of the animal sacrifices, sins were only ever passed over. The cross is the one and only place where sins could be and were put away. Christ's death there finally paid for all the promises of the Old Testament sacrifices, Jesus' death wasn't a promise for the believer, it's the reality. The cross is like the bank where all the checks were cleared, where all our guilt was cleared in God's sight. And so every believer's sins were fully paid for, settled in full, fully forgiven, totally cleared. And this applies to those future sins which we've yet to commit. They cannot affect our in-Christ status. But when we're conscious of having sinned, we should confess it and clear it with him, according to the instruction found in 1 John chapter 1. This will enable God to continue to be able to use us in his service until the Lord returns and we go to be with him where sin will never be any more of a problem. That's so, so wonderful. But some Christians seem to find it too good to be true. They still struggle with feelings of guilt. It's as if they feel they still need to try to use additional methods to remove guilt. But it's no longer necessary that they try to make themselves worthy in God's sight. If only they could realise that God's view of the true believer in Christ is so different from their view of themselves. 
Think of the cross. God does that. Before him, every believer in Christ is holy, is guilt-free, and is just as worthy as Christ himself, completely and totally forgiven. God sees us through the cross of Christ, and in that way we appear perfect and without any remaining guilt. By reading God's word and praying, we need to view ourselves through the cross of Christ. We're not the same old person we once were, and that's the main point. But our flawed sin nature can still negatively impact our life so long as we're down here. That being so, because God's promise is to decisively and deliberately refuse to recall our sins to his mind, we should follow his example by not dwelling on our past failings. Our methods of coping with residual guilt feelings are inherently flawed. We're only tasked with living such that we're counted worthy of our calling. We cannot and need not try to actually make ourselves worthy. Christ has already made us worthy, but we should aim to live worthily, just as Christ has already made us holy, but we should also aim to live a holy life. So much of the New Testament's teaching for the Christian believer is aimed at us becoming what we already are. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about the realm of the temporal and contrasts it with the realm of the eternal. Temporal things, things belonging to time, things belonging to the here and now, are visible things, but eternal things are heavenly and invisible. In connection with these things, we are told in the New Testament that we are already viewed as alive to God, justified, glorified, raised and seated with Christ. Our aim now is to live by faith in this temporal realm in a way that's consistent with these unseen realities. Let's appreciate, for God's word says it, that God has so dealt with our sin at the cross that we already appear before him as worthy and fully forgiven. We are in Christ, one with him. By God's amazing grace, we are seen as being as worthy as he is. Listen again to how this section of the letter to the Hebrews concludes. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Notice how the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, adding, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The believer in Christ is eternally free from any guilt. This is a wonderfully liberating truth. It doesn't give us any license to sin, but it's meant to free us from any guilt feelings. Satan may accuse, and he will, but no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect.
May I repeat the question I asked last week? Have you been reconciled to God? You know, it's vitally important that each of us receive God's forgiveness. So, if you're not sure, please seek assurance as a matter of urgency. Now, the booklet, which is a transcript of this whole series of talks, is available free of charge. If you'd like one or more for group study or to pass on to a friend, make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title "Who Am I?" And all the internet addresses I'm about to give at the end of this program, you'll find listed in the back cover of this booklet. And there are also back issues of other titles,、uh, which are found at those web addresses. Now, here is our postal and email address: Search for Truth, Church of God. Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, United Kingdom. And now our email address: sft at churchesofgod.info. As I've said, you can download audio versions of some past programs if you go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. And this is our church website where you can access helpful material. Uh, some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. You go to amazon.co.uk/forward/slash/kindle/ebooks, and、uh, when you get onto the site, put、uh, Search for Truth series into the search box, and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programs is available. Now we've enjoyed having you accompanied today. Thanks again for your interest in these programs. And talk number four next week is called "Greatly Blessed," and I hope you can join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, David, singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. We